Anna James is a freelance writer and journalist. After working as a secondary school librarian, she became book news editor for the Bookseller magazine before moving to freelance in 2015. Her debut children's book, Pages and Co, Tilly and the Book Wanderers, was HarperCollins' children's flagship debut of 2018. The second in the series, Pages and Co, Tilly and the Lost Fairy Tales, has recently been published, and Anna met with Nikki Gamble to talk about her work and what happens next. There can be nothing more exciting than welcoming a fellow book enthusiast, but also somebody who has worked as a school librarian, which I know many of our listeners uh, will appreciate. So, Anna, I wonder if we could start by talking a little bit about your background and your relationship with books and reading. Of course. It's hard to sort of go back and trace a beginning because books and reading have just always been woven through my life pretty inextricably. So it's always been there. I've always been a huge reader. Um, books for me were very much an escape I grew up in the countryside I was in a very religious family and books for me were a way of just exploring a wider world that I didn't really have a great deal of access to or understanding of Uh, and libraries have again always just been a huge part of my life I can remember finishing the reading scheme in year two and I was very competitive with my best friend about who was going to read it because when you finish the reading scheme you're allowed to go and choose your own book from the library which I've been very fortunate all the schools I went to had excellent school libraries and I can remember the feeling of finishing that last book and being sent to the library by myself and walking into what I know in my adult brain must have been a cupboard with books in but I can remember walking in and just seeing these shelves and honestly in my memory they stretched up infinitely and just feeling like I had the entire world at my fingertips and I think that really that was the start of so much of my relationship with books and becoming a librarian and then becoming a writer so yeah libraries and books just always been there and then I became a school librarian which was just the most rewarding job Um, and then a books journalist and I've done a bit of literary scouting and just all my jobs have been to do with books Mm -hmm. and reading when you were a school librarian, mm-hmm. it was secondary school, yes. right up to sixth form. form yeah. um, what insights did that give you from working so closely with young readers? I think above all, it's a lack of snobbery and an approach to reading that's focused on just wanting children and young readers to love it and that that's a different path for every reader and that there's not a right or a wrong way to do it. There's not right or wrong books. I don't think you can work with children or teenagers and really have any place to sort of be sort of judgmental about books you know if twilight is the book that gets someone into books then that's fab Mm -hmm. and there's no need to sort of sit down and talk to them about how the you know feminism in twilight is a little bit dodgy you know there's a time and a place for that later so i think that above all it's just embracing however whatever path a, a child takes to becoming a reader it's your job to kind of facilitate that and to support it, not to kind of shove them onto mm-hmm. a different a different path. Mm-hmm. There's a difference, isn't there, between being non-judgmental mm-hmm. and being that guide or absolutely. that person that recommends. Oh, absolutely. It is such a privilege as a school librarian to get to help guide a reader and the satisfaction of matching a reader to a book that really speaks to them there's nothing like it and I the moments of satisfaction when a child would come back after a weekend and bring a book back and they've 
devoured it and they loved it and especially when it's the book that changes their relationship to reading and turns Mm. them into Mm. a reader there's nothing like it I think that's possibly why a really good librarian has such a special bond with a reader it does go beyond the books um there's that connection absolutely I'm still in touch with students that I worked with um Mm. and there's one student that still just messages me she still calls me miss and she'll just tell me that she's read something and the other, like she messaged me and she was just like oh miss have you heard of this author called Jojo Moyes and just like just the fact that she still wants to tell me that she's read something she loved mm. is is just lovely it makes me very happy who was that you for you yeah you... yeah, yeah. <laughs> um my granddad had a big impact I and mean, he obviously wasn't in that teacher librarian role but he was hugely impactful in terms of my relationship with books and he always encouraged my sister and I to read to read widely and he helped us choose a lot of books and he used to go to the independent bookstore where he was and he would tell them what we'd been enjoying and they'd recommend him what we should read next in terms of librarians it's more like a kind of nebulous collection of lots of librarians rather than one specific person as I said I was very lucky that my schools always had libraries and my high school had an amazing librarian who was much she probably had the biggest impact on me she really I think she was very happy to have a keen reader uh, to recommend things to she recommended me The Time Traveller's Wife which is one of my favourite books and I feel like it's one of those books that has become so popular that people sometimes are a bit snotty about saying that you love it but I, I love it and it was recommended to me, my, my school librarian, I remember going into school and she was so excited to give it to me and it had just come out and she was like, I have got a book that you are going to love. And she was, she was right. And that power of someone just taking the time to know you and your taste and to be excited to recommend you books. Which is a great point for bringing in your own writing because actually you can see some connection with Time Traveller's Wife. Oh, um, in a way. <laughs> I have literally never made that connection before but of course massively you're right that's so funny isn't it the way that we read these books and they mm. just become part of you mm. like and I wouldn't have made that connection it's just listening to you talk about that and thinking no, I can see I've never connection. consciously made that connection but you are entirely right you're entirely right that that is a book that is a huge part of my life and writing consciousness and I've not done that on purpose but you're so yeah. right they're, they're <laughs> somewhere in the kind of Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah, and like Bee's storyline is wow. I need to like go and think about that and how I've subconsciously done that. That's the whole thing I need to go and spend time thinking about. Fascinating. (laughs) Um, Tell us a little bit then about book wandering and where that came Mm -hmm. from. I have tried to pinpoint a specific moment and I'm not sure that there was one particular moment. There was a lot of things. When I worked at the Bookseller magazine for a couple of years and when you work in publishing, people constantly ask you if you want to write a book. And honestly, that wasn't the goal. I felt incredibly creatively satisfied by writing um, as a journalist and reviewing other people's books and recommending books to people but I sort of had a few ideas that were constantly kind of floating around my head there was the idea of writing, wanting to write a book set in a bookshop and that kind of community idea and then there was the idea of just the way we talk you know when you work in books you hear a lot about you know language around getting lost in a good book plot holes like losing sense of time when you're reading and I just love the idea of making that literal and what that might look like 
Um, and then the kind of final thing, which I suppose was the thing that tipped it over to me wanting to write as a real book, was thinking about if I could meet Anne Shirley, what I would say to her. Mm-hmm. And initially I thought it was maybe an essay or a, a short story. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought maybe there was more there. Mm-hmm. And obviously in the first book, we do meet Anne of Green mm-hmm. Gables and Shirley. Um, and also uh, Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. And what, were you introducing us to your favourite childhood books? It's a mix of my favourite characters and characters that I felt were right for Tilly's story. Anne is just, I love her. She was such a formative character for me, and it was never an option to not have her there also she's such a brilliant character I was a bit Mm. nervous about writing well all of these characters I was nervous about writing as them taking these kind of beloved characters and giving them new lines and stories and I hope that people feel like I've been true to their kind of essence as it were um Alice was a mix of I loved Alice in Wonderland but Alice works really well for because the story is so familiar to readers because obviously a lot of the books I'm using, I didn't want to assume that younger readers knew the, mm. the stories, whereas Alice, I think you can assume a little bit of familiarity, which means it was a really good way to basically explain the mechanics of book wandering because I wasn't also having to explain the context of the world they were in, which you have to do a little bit with the other books. Mm-hmm. so if you say they go to the Mad Hatter's tea party you don't then have to spend the time kind of setting up who those characters are and what's happening you can use it to explain how book wandering works also just it's a gift in terms of the scenes and the characters to play with so yeah a real mix A Little Princess is a book that meant a lot to me as a child and then Treasure Island was one that was well on a, honestly the first draft they went to the Wind in the Willows at that point um, and they had a picnic with Ratty and Mole but my editor absolutely correctly pointed out that there was absolutely no plot or peril and I say book wandering is dangerous but at no point was it particularly dangerous so my editor encouraged me to try and think of another scene that maybe would work better so I used Treasure Island because I love the Muppet version of the book Uh, and I enjoyed the book as a child as well I enjoyed going back to it and then actually that ended up being one of my favourite scenes to write Mm -hmm. and it it was Mm -hmm. really fun to write something that was a bit scarier and darker and pirates and long and silver. Although, embarrassingly, when the proofs went out, a writer friend messaged me and said, I don't want to be this person, but I think that there was a small error in the Treasure Island scene. And I realised it's because I was referencing the Muppet film, not the book. Not the whole way through, but there was one character that I put somewhere... Uh, which is where they are in the Muppet film, but yeah. not in the book. Yeah. I probably shouldn't admit to that, but I really love the Muppets. Yeah, I think it's important to I have made recognise that more I've... than one error around the Muppets because I also edited a. I've edited an anthology of Christmas extracts for the British Library, and the Christmas Carol uh, is in there. And I wrote a little introduction to all of the extracts, and again, uh, made reference to something that turns out to be in the Muppet film, not the book. So it's apparently a but real that is something issue we, I have. No, but that's, you know, that there's a point there that um, our relationship with classics <laughs> comes from something that is much deeper culturally than yes. just having read the book. Absolutely. And again, it, and a lot of that comes back to the, like a lack of snobbery as well. They're all stories and they're there to be enjoyed and how you come to it. It doesn't matter. I really just don't think there's any place for kind of worrying 
that a child has come to Treasure Island through the Muppet film mm. rather than they've sat down and read the book. Mm. You know, they will probably, if they like the film, they'll then go to the book. Mm. It's all a story. And I'm sure some of them, the Alice that you've talked about, it will be the Disney that yes, is the thing that's fixed yeah. in, their, in their head. That's really interesting. It's a contentious one, Treasure Island, isn't it? It's an exciting one once you get into the book you have to get past all yeah. that introduction it wasn't and a favorite when i was a child i definitely erred towards kind of more whimsical books about girls you know in tough life situations you know anna green gables a little princess that was very much my sweet spot when i was mm-hmm. reading um and i enjoyed treasure island a great deal more as a teenager than mm-hmm. i did as a mm-hmm. I mean, classic sometimes you know they were written a long time ago. Sometimes they weren't even written for children in the first place. Mm. And again, there's no, there's never any obligation for a child or anyone to read anything that they don't like. Mm. You know, there's no point forcing someone to sit and read Treasure Island if they don't like it. No, that's true. Um, I wonder if we can just hop over to mm-hmm. fairy tales of for course. a moment. Um, your second book about the lost fairy tales. The mechanics of this I was absolutely fascinated in, the whole kind of setup okay. for why a fairy tale <laughs> yes. is particularly dangerous right. to travel to. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. It was fun to play with. So that so the idea in book wandering generally is that there are source editions and that kind of keeps the books stable for when you're book wandering because there is a authoritative version of most stories. But of course fairy tales they don't have that one authoritative set version and they have come from an oral culture and we have lots of different versions of several of them and they've evolved and I enjoyed thinking about well what impact would that have on book wandering and so the idea is that they're much less stable because there are lots of different versions they don't have that one authoritative copy and so that means that stories can be dangerous they can slide sort of on top of each other there's lots of different versions of the characters that exist and lots of fun to think about Mm. the impact of where fairy tales have come from and how that might impact book wandering in them Mm. i have to say i did think that was a really great idea um and i wanted to ask you what your favorite fairy tales Mm -hmm. were as a child and whether you have a different favorite Mm -hmm. as an adult because i do think inevitably reading fairy tales as an adult especially through a sort of 2019 and a feminist lens it's a different experience though my favorites are it's sort of the same one so my favorite when I was a child was the 12 dancing princesses I loved it so much and I think that like honestly still that element of sisterhood was powerful but also you know the dressing up and the dancing and the the forests were really really stuck in my head that go through the different forests of gold and diamonds and just finding that secret party and I just thought that was magical but obviously there are some issues in terms of just you know they're essentially being bartered off by their father and whoever solves it you know and the idea that they they shouldn't be doing that and they want to be kept cap you know um but my favorite fairy tale now is Jessie Burton's version of that story so Jessie Burton wrote a book called The Restless Girls and it's just perfect it I honestly just burst into tears at the end reading it because it took this story that I loved so much as a child but that has some kind of weird elements from a 2019 perspective and it kept the essence of the story but turned it into this just magical thing about sisterhood and the power of 
sort of your own voice and standing up for yourself and it kept all the whimsy and the loveliness but it twisted the things that are hard to read now and it I just I loved it and oh my goodness the illustrator is Angela Barrett and part of the reason I had this I had this really visceral response looking at the illustrations there's on the proof cover there's there's the shoes down the front and I sent a picture to my little sister and I was like doesn't this just make you think of the books that we used to read together and like we used to comb through and we'd pick out oh I'd wear those shoes I'd wear that dress and I had a very visceral response to it and then I realized that it's because I had this book that I still have my childhood copy of it was a book that my granddad bought me and it's an illustrated book of stories from the ballet and she'd illustrated it and that was why I was having such an emotional response to it because literally it was her illustrations of shoes and dresses that I had combed through with my little sister when I was a child and then now and I got to interview them together Mm. at an event and I got her to sign my original copy of the book I think she was a bit I was so overwhelmed but it just shows the power of these stories have Mm. on you um I suppose what I'm interested in is that uh, and it's it's great that you've picked one story that you responded to as a child as, and as an adult in a different way. If they keep changing, mm-hmm. what is it in their essence that makes them last? It's such an interesting question. It's not. I'm not sure it's one I have a particularly sort of articulate answer to. There's clearly something in them that speaks to us because even the original stories, rife as they are with problematic stuff, they still speak to people. I do think that there's something to be said for those kind of archetypal characters and stories of overcoming difficulty. But I think for me, it's that kind of sense of whimsy and magic. That's what captured me. I don't know. I, I do think perhaps it is slightly different for, from everybody and perhaps why that they endure is because they have a bit of everything that makes stories magical. Mm. And so whether you love adventures or whimsy or whatever it is about stories that you love, there are probably fairy tales that have that as mm. well. Mm they kind of become these universal Mm. stories. And I think also the concept of them is so appealing, even more than the specifics of the story, and we associate them with reading. We often have very fun, like, you know, talking about the 12 Dancing Processes. For me, it's so linked to reading books with my family and my sister, and it's a, a lot to do with memory and the way you read and encounter stories, I think, that we're responding to as much as the stories themselves. Sometimes when you go back and read the stories, they're they're not that magical on a word sort of sentence by sentence level but there is something about the magic and the whimsy and the adventure of them I think also that often I think this is a lot of why children's fiction is exciting still to read as an adult a lot of the time they're about characters who sort of stumble upon adventure and I do think there is certainly a bit of me and I think a lot of most people mm-hmm. certainly readers mm-hmm. who still kind of live in the hope that you might stumble across yeah. an adventure and the underdog often wins out, which yes. is very appealing to us, isn't it? Absolutely. And I guess they're very economical. I do think it's the ideas and mm. not the actual stories on a sentence-by-sentence mm. sentence mm. level that are what we respond to. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether, as somebody that has been a journalist and, and knows children's books really well, um, whether you feel that when we see ch- fairy tales being reproduced for children that it's the same tales over and over again and that somehow that wealth of fairy tale literature just isn't mined for children in the way that it could be. 
I'm not sure. I think that you do see fairy tales surfacing again and again. And I do think it's mined in almost every children's book, even if it's not an explicit retelling. Mm -hmm. I think that fairy tales are so much a part of the foundation of the way that we understand storytelling as readers and writers that you kind of can't not... You know, we're talking about Mm -hmm. the way that I subconsciously Mm -hmm. used The Time Traveller's Wife. Everything we read is in us, even if we're not consciously using it and I think fairy tales are so much part of our culture and our society and our reading that even if you're not consciously using them you probably are subconsciously using them mm-hmm. interesting I'd like to ask you a few things about yourself as a writer okay, yeah. now um what for you is the most pleasurable part of the process <laughs> it's the part at the start where you have this like idea <laughs> you haven't started having to write it down yet um Lainey Taylor said that having an idea for a book is like seeing a butterfly and then writing it is like hammering it to a page. Um, And then I once said that to Ali Smith and she said that how you have to think about it is that having an idea is seeing a butterfly and holding it in your hands for a few moments and then letting it go, which is just a beautiful way. So I tried to think of it like that, but there is this moment where you're kind of researching and thinking about it and you have the idea for the book and it still feels like it could be perfect because you haven't started trying to translate it into words and that is such an exciting part of it and then the other best bit is when it's done and you get to speak to children and readers about so like everything apart from the actual writing of it but that's not really fair I do enjoy I do enjoy most of the writing Mm. yeah so the opposite question to that is which is the bit that is, is most challenging for you I am not a natural planner and I find the wrangling of the plot specifics sometimes challenging, especially in a series, because you inherit... You know, I'm writing book three at the moment, and there's just, a, I'm, you know, I've amassed a level of world-building and magic and rules that I'm having to negotiate, and wishing I was like a J.K. Rowling who has those, like, incredibly in-depth, like, planned for the whole series and wishing I really I wish I'd have done that um so I do sometimes get tangled in plot and trying to make sure that it it works and getting the right balance between not making it too convoluted which is definitely where I tend towards but also you know that it's not it can't just be simple that's probably the bit I find mm. hardest. I really enjoy editing I mm. like I find it very mm. satisfying the process of like making it better <laughs> have you found any techniques that have helped with the plotting that you've I mean, the honest answer is no. Uh, <laughs> the honest answer is the biggest help is my editor. <laughs> like, I did. I tweeted relatively like a while ago when I was starting to do the book three and said like, how do people plan stuff? And lots of writers are incredibly kind and sent me their spreadsheets and how they do it. And but none of them work for me. And and I do think uh, when you get asked for writing advice, honestly, I do think embracing how you naturally do it is is important. And that if you don't, if you're not excited and enthused by the idea of doing a spreadsheet don't force yourself to do a spreadsheet so the thing actually is that I just make peace with the fact that it's something I don't it doesn't necessarily come naturally to me and it's going to be something I'm going to have to work out and that 
I have editors and an agent who are brilliant and mm -hmm. I can talk things through with and that it doesn't have to be perfect mm -hmm. straight away. We're not all the same. People yeah. find aspects Absolutely. of it easy and aspects Absolutely. of it difficult. And of course the other thing that you, you have done quite a lot of is interview writers mm -hmm. in your time. Yes. Um, and that's the real privilege too, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely. like having a masterclass every time. Like I'm having a masterclass oh, right now, talking no. to you. <laughs> no. So what have you, what have you garnered from mm -hmm. the opportunity to talk to so many writers? I I think not so much specific tips as much as sometimes it's just really lovely and reassuring to just get to speak to a writer and realise that like I interviewed Ali Smith and just realising that she grapples with the same things that everyone else does is really reassuring um, I'd say interviewing Ali was probably the, the interview that had the biggest impact although her advice was not helpful because she's Ali Smith so she was like you know just tell your editor if you need more time you can be however late you need to be and whilst there is flexibility always with everyone obviously if you're Ali Smith you probably have a little bit more flexibility um, but just talking through it's just so interesting rather than learning sort of specific things I just find it fascinating mm. um, to get to speak to writers and writers I admire about how they approach writing and it just reminds you of the power of fiction as well when you get to do an event with I interviewed Stephen Jaworski the other week here at Perks of Being a Wallflower and to get to speak to him in front of a room full of people who his book has literally changed their life to get to see that relationship in practice and to get to speak to him about creating something like that it all comes down to just the potential power that stories have and I think perhaps that's the best advice we can pass on to our listeners who are working with young children day in and day out. Everybody does it differently. Absolutely. Um, and that's fantastic. There's, just no, there's not a right or a wrong way to be a writer or a reader. Yeah. Anna, it's been such a privilege talking oh, to no. you today. Thank you so much. So thank, thank you. you so much for joining us in The Reading thank Corner. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to In The Reading Corner with Just Imagine. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more on the podcast section of our website, justimagine.co.uk, plus via iTunes or SoundCloud or your usual podcast provider. Don't forget to pass the pod and recommend this fantastic free resource to your friends and colleagues.